Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, September 21st. We begin with a look at a new poll conducted by Ipsos exclusively for Global News on the most wanted items Canadians are interested in when it comes to the upcoming throne speech. Sean Simpson, VP of Ipsos, brings us the somewhat surprising results. Next, we look at the staggering numbers surrounding ovarian cancer in our country. Dr. Ted Jablonski sheds some light on the disease during this Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. The coronavirus crisis has affected all of us in one way or another, and some more than others. We speak with a professor of political science on the unique challenges facing working moms. And finally, we could all use some help de-stressing as we move through the pandemic. We get some tips on managing stress and anxiety from a professor of clinical psychology. A couple of days away from the much-anticipated throne speech taking place Wednesday, September 23rd. Uh, What exactly will be in that speech? I guess we're going to have to wait our sweet time. But for what Canadians are interested in and think think they might see in the speech, we're joined by Sean Simpson, VP of Ipsos. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. Well, we could say you have a crystal ball, but you've had some help oh, with some Canadians. <laughs> Tell us about the latest survey and uh, what the uh, you know search and what the hunt was on for. Yeah, so we uh, we pulled Canadians and we gave them a list of twelve possible priorities for the throne speech and asked them to pick the two that they thought uh, should be the focus for the government uh, on, on Wednesday. And uh, the first one uh, that came to mind, uh, and perhaps this is a surprise, is uh, immediate health measures to fight the pandemic. Thirty-three percent thought that should be one of the top two priorities. And the second is getting Canadians back to work at, at 26%. And really, these, these two blew all the others out of the water. And I think it's really, you know, a reflection of, of um, you know, uh, the Prime Minister originally said that I think he had some big, bold, ambitious plans for the throne speech, sort of in a post-COVID world. But uh, we're not in a post-COVID world. In fact, uh, it's almost like Groundhog Day, or we're going to be doing the same thing again. Uh, coming up soon. And so Canadians really want the government to be focused on the here and now and the bread and butter issues, uh, which is, you know, keeping us healthy and safe and getting Canadians back to work. And let's face it, both of those things relate directly back to the coronavirus, don't they? So, I mean, what kinds of things did you break it down as in terms of healthcare initiatives to fight this, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic? What do they want from the government? Yeah, well, we we didn't get into too many specifics about you know how the government might do that. Of course, the the devil's in the details. But uh, what we do know is 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 that uh, you know Canadians do largely support um, uh, lockdown measures if if COVID nineteen does enter a second wave. And I know there's some debate about what that you know how what would even qualify as a second wave. Ottawa. Uh, the city of Ottawa already says that they're they're into one, but but uh, Dr. Tam um, for the country has not said anything yet. Uh, but I, we also know that, that Canadians want to see support for for small businesses. You know, they think the government did a really good job at, with the CERB supporting Canadians who had lost jobs, with the CEWS supporting uh, larger businesses that were down in revenue. But you know, we're still seeing mom and pop shops and and and, and restaurants and and local retailers closing. And so this is actually a priority for uh, for 14% of Canadians who say they want the government to do more to support small businesses at the risk of closing. And I know you uh, put these options out to Canadians, those ones that were polled by Ipsos, but a, a very interesting mix when it comes to some finances. If you can tell us the breakdown, because I think it's, it's, it's kind of going against the grain, uh, depending on who voted for what here, a plan to reduce the deficit. Mm-hmm. Some people putting together a long-term universal basic income for Canadians and reducing taxes. It seems seems to me that mm. if you're reducing taxes, the other two aren't going to be going anywhere anytime soon. 
yeah, the government's got their work cut out for themselves <laughs> in trying to balance these competing priorities. So for Liberal voters, for example, uh, it's uh, fighting the pandemic, getting Canadians back to work. Uh, third would be emergency relief for people who have lost their jobs, so maybe extending the CERB uh, because it's, it's planned to, to, to end very soon. Uh, a universal basic income, which the CERB has almost been a de facto experiment with, and supporting small businesses. If we look at, at across the aisle, conservative voters, the, the kinds of priorities that they are looking at, number one is getting people back to work. Number two is is a plan to reduce the budget deficit. Obviously, we can't go from you know $350 billion to balance overnight, but they want to see a, a plan in place. Fighting pandemic is third. Reducing taxes is fourth priority. And tightening immigration is the fifth most important priority for conservative voters. Mm. Did you break it down in terms of uh, provinces and who was fighting for what most? Yeah, we sure did. So, uh, you know, as you can expect, uh, based on, I think, a lot of people's, you know, their own personal experiences in the province, we see them reflected in the data. So in Alberta, for example, uh, getting Canadians back to work is is by far and away issue number mm-hmm. one, both within the province and uh, across the country. Uh, but the other issue, uh, the other, actually, there's two or three issues that spike in Alberta higher than, than, than any other province. Uh, that is uh, tax reduction. Albertans most likely to want to see uh, our taxes going down. Support for small businesses at 19%. I think a lot of that has to do with, with uh, unemployment rates being higher in Alberta, of course. And uh, the final one that, that spikes a little bit is uh, tightening immigration. Both Alberta and also Saskatchewan Manitoba, uh, most likely across the country to say they want to see a tightening of immigration. Something interesting to me was uh, that the, the, you know, uh being green and the environment has been on Canadians' minds, it seems like, for the past handful of years, taking kind of a backseat when you look at the percentage numbers from your respondents amidst the pandemic. Very much so. Uh, during the election last year, we actually saw uh, the environment as a top issue uh, move into the top five and even briefly the top three most important issues in Canada. We've never, ever seen that before. Um, but now, uh, you know, there's just an inverse relationship between uh, prioritizing the economy and prioritizing the environment. And we know from a lot of our polling that Canadians believe those two things do not have to be you know, uh, dichotomous to each other. You can, you can grow the economy and, you know, help the environment at the same time. But, you know, in, in, a, in a situation where we already have a budget deficit of about $350 billion, uh, it, 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 in people's minds, it becomes more of a zero-sum game. Uh, and so only 10% of Canadians say that a priority for them is to support a green uh, economic uh, recovery. It's as high as 15% in, in British Columbia, but that's as high as it gets. And it actually puts it the second least important issue of the ones that we tested. And yet we've been hearing, you know, as we lead up to this throne speech that a new green initiative may be one of the big things the the Liberals were planning to come out with. I wonder if they uh, dig down into this Ipsos polling, if that might change (laughs) dramatically. Yeah, well, we've heard that the Prime Minister's tone has, has, I think, changed over the last uh, week or so in terms of uh, signaling or giving expectations of what is in the throne speech. Uh, I can't exactly remember the words that he used about a, a couple of weeks ago. He was going to be ambitious or, or, or some other some other word describing the throne speech. I suspect it will be a little less ambitious because it's going to anger Canadians if if he's focused on you know uh, putting his legacy or stamp on some big big costly program that we will benefit from in the future when Canadians are, are so focused right now, the mm-hmm. top three issues are on immediate measures, health, economy, and the country's finances.
Well, I guess we will get the full answers coming up on Wednesday. In the meantime, always good to speculate and hear what the thoughts of Canadians are. So thank you so much for that, Sean. My pleasure. That is Sean Simpson, VP of Ipsos. And uh, again, I think it's, it's almost, I've never been so excited for a throne speech, to be honest with you. <laughs> it I is going to be interesting, isn't it? I that mean, delicate balance and with the, an election, truly, perhaps, uh, you know, looming might be and hanging bit, in the balance yeah. of this, too. And uh, being that a couple other parties might have a few things to say about the throne speech of being the minority liberal government. So it is one of the more exciting in recent terms. And I know Calgary, uh, Calgarians, well, yes, Calgarians and Canadians. Uh, looking for some answers to, to help to, to clear the path toward getting out of this pandemic. And Sean had some uh, some results based on Alberta. Curious yeah. as to you listeners, what you're thinking, your top issues for what you'd like to see dealt with when the throne speech does come down. Text line's open for you, 403-974-8255. It is 717, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, a community connected to its city. Monday morning, and it's time to check in with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. A, a serious topic this week. It is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. I did not realize ovarian cancer, the fifth most common cancer among women, one of the most serious. Dr. J, what do we know about ovarian cancer, signs, symptoms, and the like? Yeah, so it's difficult to diagnose early, and that's the problem. It's actually the fifth deadliest cancer. It's not the fifth most common. Oh, wow, okay. To be clear, right? Yes. So it's actually um, not very uh, common. It's quite infrequent. I, I, I wouldn't use the word rare, but because we tend to catch it late, because it tends to be a fairly sinister cancer, uh, it is much higher up in the death of list. It's a much more deadly cancer. So t- symptoms typically are symptoms of, that could mimic a lot of other things. So typically women would um, get uh, a feeling of bloating, seem to be their belly is getting uh, bigger in size. Um, this could be a change of bowel movements, change of urination, uh, like peeing more often, can't empty my bladder properly. Uh, I'm tired. Uh, I would say the most characteristic thing might be where I seem to be getting a bigger belly, but yet I'm losing weight. I'm not eating any different, but my weight is redistributing at a time that seems odd because this is a cancer of later in life typically. It can come at all ages, but it's typically in later life. Dr. J, you know, uh, when we talk about something this serious and, uh, you know, so prevalent uh, with the numbers, 
uh, where are we and where ha- how far have we come with the research and the treatment and uh, you know detection Ooh. methods? Uh, well, I, I I think some of the treatment modalities are better, but we're always always very typically playing catch up unless we happen to stumble on this early. So if we catch it early, there are a lot of treatment options available which have come a long way. But unfortunately, we still tend to catch it quite late when it's advanced. A lot of the symptoms I just listed are very late symptoms. That means this cancer has been around for quite a while. It's large enough. It's already spread. That's why it's causing all these symptoms. It's a deep structure. So we, we are yet uh, breast cancer. We have mammography. Mm-hmm. Colon cancer, we have ability to do stool testing or colonoscopy, lung cancer, chest x-ray. There's, there's testing for the major cancers that where we've come a long way to catch something early to screen uh, an entire population. With ovarian cancer, we don't have a, a screening tool that's effective. And we don't have, even if somebody presents with symptoms, sometimes um, we don't go looking there first. We go looking at a lot of other things. So this is our big challenge, and that challenge hasn't changed, I would say, for the last few decades. We're still playing uh, the same catch-up typically, and that's, I guess, why there is an ovarian cancer awareness week, mm-hmm. just to keep it on our radar, keep uh, women hearing about this. So, uh, Because sometimes the, the delay in presentation is, uh, you know, I, I felt this new symptom, but it must be just, you know, my gut, my bowel is not is misbehaving. So I sit and watch it for months before I actually present. Even though it's new, um, I don't connect it to something sinister like ovarian cancer. We need to pay attention to our bodies. We need to be our own advocates. OvarianCanada.org is a website that I found that's a good one. Thank you, Dr. J, for joining us. Appreciate your time. Oh, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Well, at 609, the economic challenge created by the coronavirus is hitting women particularly hard, and it's hitting mothers as well. Women's participation in the workforce has fallen off sharply over the past few months. And to discuss this further, we're joined by Assistant Professor of Political Science, Director of the Digital Society Lab at McMaster University, Clifton Vander Linden. Good morning, Clifton. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what have we seen over the past six months or so? I mean, we've got kids at home more so than we ever have. The The summer the summer vacation was extremely long. Is that why we saw women having to stay home from work or were more females being laid off when the pandemic hit us? Well, there's a whole combination. It's a perfect storm in many ways. But what uh, our study showed is that when shelter-at-home measures were in effect um, and at the height of shelter-at-home measures, so schools closed, child care centers closed, people having to work from home, and uh, also because of um, emergency measures, not having the ability to even have anybody outside the home in the home to help with child care, uh, parents had to make some very hard choices about uh, how they cared for their children. And we ran a, we ran a number of surveys, surveyed over 4,000 uh, Canadians in late April and early June, and asked about the number of hours they spent on child care before and during the pandemic. And what we saw was that women in households with children are by far taking up the lion's share of the additional work. And so that's having an impact on their jobs, on their careers, on their mental health even. So could this be a case, Clifton, that, you know, we we seem to have moved uh, miles and eons from the 
60s, 70s, and perhaps early 80s, where mom stayed home and dad went to work. Uh, but when, uh, you know, uh, the brass tacks, when it gets down there, um, it's women who answer the call to be the ones that stay home, even though they might have an equal, if not a higher paying job than their uh, male counterparts. So there's certainly evidence to show that that is the case, that there's still gender roles performed even when um, salaries and incomes are equivalent, or even when um, um, the woman in a household makes more than the man in a household. Um, What we thought was interesting, though, because we asked about hours worked before and after, what we saw was both men and women, when when push came to shove and and emergency measures were in place, Mm -hmm. both men and women... uh, self-reported a 33% increase in the number of hours they were spending taking care of the children. So you might think, okay, well, men and women are doing an equal share. They both stepped up to the plate. They both did what needed to be done. The problem was that before the pandemic, women were already spending more than twice as many hours as men caring for their children. So there's a multiplier effect on that relative uh, increase in the number of hours worked. So women's hours shot up, whereas 33% for men only added up to a couple more hours a week. And now with a lot of people, you know, keeping their kids at home instead of sending them back to school and educating them from home, I suspect that falls to the mom as well for the most part. So they're not able to go back to work at all. Yeah, there's nothing to suggest uh, that these findings are going to shift dramatically given any of the policies that we've seen uh, come out or or any of the just household dynamics that we're seeing as kids go back to school. So uh, this is a trend that seems to be pervasive. It's deeply ingrained in in our society, in our culture, and... uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't look like it's, it's, we're going to find a solution for it anytime soon. Okay, well, even if we do find a solution, that impact of being uh, disrupted or out of the workforce essentially for months, if not years, uh, can you uh, look down the line? Did the study look at, you know, what we will be seeing in years to come and, and what this effect might do as, as far as what work life looks like for these women? already know that there are, I mean, there are so many studies to, to uh, demonstrate that there is a, still a gender uh, equity gap in terms of hiring, in terms of promotion, in terms of recruitment, certainly in terms of salary and pay. And so, and there are always sort of um, explanations at the margins to try to justify these things. Uh, and there, they can be around performance or on dedication. These are spurious uh, um, uh, reasons at best. And But now you're going to have uh, women who who are pulled out of the workforce, who are not able to commit as many hours to the workforce because of these uh, uh, extraordinary circumstances, and this is going to leave a deep mark in in their career trajectory, uh, in their um, you know in their earnings potential, and so it 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 really sets women back um, by in a significant way. And did you also find, Clifton, there were, you know, physical issues that women are suffering now as well as not being able to, you know, get and and be gainfully employed. They're staying home. How is that affecting them and their mental health? So what we asked uh, both men and women in in households with children and households without children to self-report their mental health over time. And what we find of of those four groups, um, men and women, uh, with children, men and women without children, women with children at home had the lowest self-reported rates of mental health uh, over the course of the pandemic. So there, and and this is not necessarily a function of simply having to stay home and take care of your children. It's a function of having to stay home and take care of your children in isolation at the expense of your your mm-hmm. career. Um, so men, of course, uh, given that they're putting in fewer hours in childcare, uh, they're. It, the ostensible conclusion you can reach is they're still able to keep their careers going. And so um, it, 
these these findings are intuitively valid as well. Clifton, I'm not sure if this was part of the study, but in your research, uh, have you found how we as a nation stack up against other countries in the world when it comes to this uh, pandemic phenomenon? So the original study um, actually compared Canada and Australia. Uh, In many ways, Canada and Australia have comparable societies, uh, comparable systems of government, and uh, even though the the ways in which they dealt with the pandemic differ, there's enough uh, similarity across those two cases to try to understand if this is a Canadian effect or a global effect. Um, and unfortunately, we do find that uh, even though the, the number of hours, the, the difference in hours is not as bad in Australia as in Canada, there still is the same effect when push comes to shove. It's women who uh, take up the, um, the additional responsibility of taking care of children. And in Australia, there were still measures in case in place even during shelter-at-home um, periods uh, to try and um, uh, assist people in taking care of their children, especially essential workers. So the effects aren't as um, substantial, but they're still definitely there. And so this is a broader global phenomenon. It's not something that seems particularly germane to Canada. Clifton, when you look back at all the research, what was the biggest takeaway for you? The biggest shock for me was the, the, uh, the difference in hours spent uh, on child care between men and women before we went into the pandemic. I thought we were further along than where we are. But when you look at just the gap between uh, the average Canadian woman and average Canadian man with children at home, that gap is still huge. There, There's a long way to go. And even without a pandemic, it's, it's, uh, it, it's certainly telling about some of the barriers women face in terms of career advancement and earning potential. Certainly some interesting findings. Thank you for spending time with us this morning, Clifton. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That is Clifton Vanderlinden, Assistant Professor of Political Science, Director of the Digital Society Lab of McMaster University. At 617, it's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy spectacular views of the city skyline and the Rocky Mountains. Heading into downtown, watch for reduced lanes on eastbound 9th Avenue approaching McLeod Trail. They're removing a crane, so those reduced lanes will be in effect until about Sunday, we're told. We've also got delays due to construction through the northwest on the Trans-Canada Highway. If that's going to be your route west of Valley Ridge Boulevard, it is a little bit slow in both directions out towards Old Banff Coach Road, but that eastbound drive as you head into the city, uh, problem-free all the way out towards the Foothills Hospital. Fall in love again. Discover the luxury of a certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz and enjoy four monthly payments waived and of 1% rate reduction only during the fall sales event. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. Nine oh nine on the morning news, and our next guest is sharing his knowledge from his practice and is here to talk about the challenges that affect us in these transitional times during the pandemic. We're joined by Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Calgary and UCalgary Depression Research uh, Research Laboratory Lead, Dr. Keith Dobson. Good morning to you, Dr. Dobson. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, thank you for taking the time with us. And it's interesting because you mentioned transitional times and mm-hmm. we're back to school, back to work, trying to get back to our routines that are normal for us in the fall. But it feels so much different this year. So I guess uh, I'm sure it's a loaded question, but how do we make this not such a normal time feel more normal? 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, when we think about the psychology of stress and anxiety, we actually think about three characteristics. One is lack of predictability, the other is lack of control, and then the third is personal importance. And unfortunately, with COVID-19, we've got all three. We've got lack of predictability, lack of control to some extent, and of course, uh, potentially very serious consequences. So it's not surprising people are feeling a lot of anxiety and stress at this time. Uh, in terms of the answer to your question about what can we do, I think there are a few things. One is we can try to maintain our routines as best we can, uh, you know, regular sleep, exercise, and so on. We can set activities that are important for us. So that could be social activities, fun activities, uh, activities to you know, achieve our purpose. We can certainly watch our self-talk. If we find that we're uh, starting to become more negative or, you know, turn towards the dark side, we can pay attention to that and try to respond. Uh, one of the big things that we've been advocating right from the beginning for mental health is not being uh, physically distant, sorry, not being socially distant from each other. We have to be physically distant, of course, but to maintain as much social contact as we can. And then I would say also we need to plan, you know, basically as much as we can. We need to anticipate what's coming down the line and get ready. So we know, for example, that winter is coming. So now is a great time to start and new activities that you might be able to carry through into the winter months. Dr. Dobson, you mentioned right at the beginning, lack of control. I think you're right. That's a really big part of it. And even, you know, folks who had some sort of mental health issues, whether it just be a, you know, a mild case of anxiety, even certainly it's been exacerbated with what we've seen. So how do we know when it's time to seek help or when it's time to, you know, it goes beyond what we can deal with on our own? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So one of the things that we often advise people to do is sort of do a mental check-in to, to look at things like their mood, their behavior, their thoughts, and so on. And if you notice a shift in particular, that's when you might either check it out with a friend or, you know, family member to ask if they notice anything different. But if you know that you're definitely shifting yourself, that's the time when you should stop and look and and probably just reach out. Uh, in Alberta, we're lucky. We have the 811 number, so we have access to health professionals 24-7, and they can actually do a screening for you online. Could part of the issue be, uh, Dr. Dobson, like, you know, I sit, you know, uh, in the office across from Sue when we're at our desks, and, you know, we work in the same environment, or, uh, you know, I have a brother, for example, uh, but mm-hmm. we can't compare ourselves to those around us because we all experience anxiety differently. So yes. is that one of the issues, is trying to say, well, they seem to be okay, why shouldn't I be? Yeah, we all do that. We all engage in social comparison on lots of different dimensions, uh, which is not the most healthy. So we're actually better to look at ourselves and how we were functioning in the past and see if we're seeing a shift in our own functioning. Some people actually uh, do quite well in society you know, with regular anxiety, but they manage day by day. Others uh, slight shift, you know, and they find that they're really struggling. So again, it has to be a personal assessment. Other than ourselves, if we're thinking maybe someone in our life, someone that we love is is behaving a little bit differently, and we need to maybe, you know, confront them and say, hey, mm-hmm. do you need a helping hand? What should we be looking for in others? Uh, it would be the same kinds of signs and symptoms. So for stress and anxiety, what we're looking at are things like trouble sleeping, you know, more negative talk, you know, could either be self-talk again or talk towards others. Uh, if people are getting more extremely distressed, you may see crying, you may see avoidance as a behavior. Um, in some cases, we've heard of increased rates of substance use, so alcohol rates have uh, gone up. 
Uh, it could be violence in some places or anger or irritability. So again, you know, the way that these kinds of signs and symptoms will present will vary from person to person. Uh, but if you see something happening in a friend or a loved one that you are concerned about, my best advice is to talk to them in a way kind of like what you just said, to something that's supportive and say, I'm concerned. You know, I see that you're changing or I wonder if you're changing and if you need some help. So, so be in a positive way. Tell us about, you know, within, uh, you know, your world, the psychology used to dealing with a, a, a myriad of ailments, if you will, from, from mm-hmm. people. This has got to be a different time in that if uh, you had regular clients, they're probably still seeing you, but you, there must be a whole new legion of clients. So how busy are psychologists? Unfortunately, I suppose, you know, for, for the sake of society, but uh, maybe fortunately for the business of psychology and psychiatry, the rates of anxiety and depression in particular have gone up uh, dramatically. So there are now three large-scale national surveys I'm aware of that have looked at self-reported rates of anxiety and depression, and it looks like, you know, based on Again, relatively weak data because it's self-report, but rates are up approximately two and a half times or so. Uh, there's a group of us at the University of Calgary. We have an article that's in review right now uh, looking at international rates uh, based on a whole bunch of studies that have been done around the world. And it looks like those numbers are similar in other countries as well where, where the pandemic has occurred. So unfortunately, anxiety, depression are up. Uh, we have heard, like I said earlier, about increased rates of substance use. We've also heard reports of increased rates of domestic violence. So we are hearing, unfortunately, a number of mental health consequences. Would you say, doctor, those symptoms that you talked about, the all of those issues, we're seeing it in uh, younger and younger and younger people. And, and can you maybe, I don't know, maybe this is difficult to answer, but because young people are, are far more aware than generations before, whether through social media or just, you know, being being aware of the news more is that mm-hmm. why they're sort of we're seeing it in younger people particularly anxiety and depression issues yeah i, I think that's part of it and, I, and i'm not sure that the rates i mean right now i think because of the pandemic i think rates have actually increased somewhat um but if we step back from the you know go back a year or so uh, i don't think the rates have gone up dramatically in society for mental health problems but i do think that what has changed is our awareness and our willingness to talk about mental health challenges um, about 10 years ago, the Mental Health Commission of Canada was formed, for example, and one of the things that they identified was that there was enormous stigma and unwillingness to talk about mental health issues in society. And so I think that, you know, we've actually addressed that quite well. And so people now are much more attuned to these concerns, more willing to express them. And the question now is, what do we do with these kinds of problems when they emerge? Well, thank you uh, so much for your time this morning, Dr. Dobson. Well, thank you. Thank you for actually addressing this important topic. Good stuff. That is Dr. Keith Dobson, Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Calgary and UCalgary Depression Research Laboratory lead. It's 917, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Main streets highlight 20-foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths. Heading through downtown Eastbound 9th Avenue at McLeod Trail, just after the intersection, there are a few right lanes closed down for construction. That's going until at least Wednesday. We've also got some construction delays on westbound 17th Avenue as you make your way out towards 14th Street. The backups are starting around 12th Street southwest, so it'll be a few blocks to get through that. Once you do, 17th Avenue is a great drive out towards Crowchild. Crowchild Trail through the northwest, southbound lanes getting...